All right, everyone. Welcome to the first episode of the 20 Mile Podcast. Excited to be here with my co-host, Gabriel Barsante, and myself, Mike Williams. And we're here to share a story about a founder and entrepreneur and their march towards success and, and big things. So today we're really excited to have Will Fraser here with us. Will is the founder and CEO of Sasquatch. Will lives here in beautiful Victoria, BC with his wife, Jamie. Will comes from an engineering background and he enjoys hobbies like wine, drinking wine and cooking and hiking. Uh, not sure if he does all those together, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. And the team at, at Sasquatch is about 16 people and they've been growing for about five years. Is that right? Yeah. And well, one little other tidbit about Will, he has a superpower and that superpower is to be able to talk intelligently on nearly any topic uh, and he dares you to challenge him on that if you ever get a chance to meet Will in person. So now I'll hand it off to Gabe and we'll, we'll dig in with Will. Well, thanks Mike. Welcome Will. So to get things started off, I want to talk a bit what Sasquatch does um, and how you guys got started. Awesome. Well, yeah, thanks for, for having me guys. Um, Sasquatch is a loyalty platform for the digital economy. Uh, basically, there are loyalty platforms built for coffee shops and credit cards today. But as we've seen with the massive change in the way we buy and engage with companies, uh, such as on-demand services, subscription services, and marketplaces, those ideas of, of simple point programs or uh, you know, frequent buyers are, are not enough. So we've been able to kind of jump into this emerging market uh, and show them how to increase lifetime value with uh, incentives and rewards programs. Okay, okay. Um, so why Sasquatch? Why Sasquatch? Uh, okay, so that starts back in about 2008, I think. I'm not particularly good with ta with dates, uh, but 2008, I believe. And so I was graduating from university. I was graduating, um, and I had two job offers on the table. And I thought, this is pretty sweet. I'm pretty powerful, pretty important, good guy. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, the economic downturn hit. And at the time, I was working... Um, mostly around like military projects, uh, government projects, and so those two job two job offers disappeared while I was uh, debating them. So I did the responsible thing that everyone does. I took the little tiny bit of money I had left and I went to Europe, um, <laughs> as one does. As one does, right? Um, so I went to Europe for about three months, and I was wandering around with uh, all sorts of members of my family, uh, my now wife, you know, these kind of things, and I got a, an email. And of course, this is back in the day of, of internet cafes. Um, and so I, I checked my email, and there was a, a friend who said, hey, uh, I need you to come home, come get a master's degree, and we're going to start a business. And for those that went to school with me, the idea of me getting a master's degree was not particularly logical. Uh, I did well in school, but everyone knew that I was very happy to be out of school. But when your options are not much, you say, sure, let's go, let's go get a master's degree. Um, and so I went and did that, uh, and out of that master's degree, me and this, this other guy, my, my co-founder, started a company, and that company was called uh, UPIC. And UPIC was basically uh, get a sweepstakes entry for liking a Facebook page, okay? Nothing crazy. Mm -hmm. We kind of blew that up the wrong way. I, that took us a few years. We did our master's a couple years. took a few, you know, few years to figure out that UPIC... Um, wasn't going to totally work. And when I say not totally going to work, I mean like failure. Uh, so what was the wrong term there for? Yeah, so it was like a lot. 
Um, so the first thing was uh, we had absolutely no idea about the customer or industry, like in any way. We were four, there's four of us, four kind of founding team, and we were all engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had heard of marketing. Um, <laughs> we had definitely, definitely like seen ads, uh, and that was pretty much our, our knowledge. Now we were partnered up with another group that had some, some good connections who were helping us learn, um, but our first problem, of, you know, first kind of real thing we, we did wrong was we were way smarter than our customer. We were so smart and we just needed our customers to figure it out so that they would understand how smart we were and how valuable our product was. So that was not a winning move. Mm-hmm. Um, we did, a, you know, there's the idea of like a pivot. Well, I don't know if it's really called a pivot if you just kind of like jump back and forth of the line a whole bunch, <laughs> but we did like a flip-flop. Yeah. Uh, and so we started as this like it's interesting. We started actually with this idea we called targeted individual barcodes, which was like we were going to send you basically a customized coupon, uh, and that was going to get redeemed at the checkout, mm-hmm. and that's going to be amazing. Um, we didn't stick to that idea because at the time, uh, a lot of the, the checkouts weren't using uh, imaging technology. They're using laser technology. And this is 2008, 2009? 2000, that's about 2009, 2010. Okay. It was cold. Um, <laughs> um, no, um, a dark time. Yeah. <laughs> So whatever, we, we thought we were smarter than the customer. We didn't stay consistent on a vision. We would try one thing, we'd try another thing. You know, we had a customer say, you know, we had a, a partner uh, say, hey, we have this massive demand for, for this solution. If you can fix this little problem, we'll be able to sell you. They couldn't, we didn't follow the details, whatever. Went down the road. But the final nail in the coffin was that we'd become entirely dependent on Facebook. And the way it worked. Mm-hmm. And one day about... Two weeks, three weeks before Christmas, uh, Facebook made a change to how their platform worked that was literally the end of our industry. It Hmm. just took away like 98% of all traffic to these promotions. It just destroyed it. Yeah. So that was the end of UPIC. So Um, you'd say flip-flopping possibly killed UPIC over time? Flip-flopping, yeah. Now, had we not flip-flopped, had we gone hard... Mm -hmm at what we originally set out to do, and we had really put all of our ammunition behind it, um, the two biggest players in our space, one sold right before that change, and one sold right after that change. The player that sold before the change sold for $600 million to, sale, to Salesforce, and the one that sold after the change sold for $380 million, something like that, to Google. Um, and what's interesting is, we started ahead of the $600 million wow. company. Yeah, how was it hearing those news? <laughs> you know, it was it was a definite lesson. Like we we learned right then and there that when you've got something, you've got to go. You know, and and to be fair, I don't know if we knew we had something because we had kind of flip flopped so much. But you've just got to put the pedal down, probably to a level that's very uncomfortable as a young engineer. Did but those, yeah, did those other companies take funding? Like, is that something you should like have hundreds done? of millions? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, just so much funding they. They had a, a confidence that we didn't know we deserved. I mean, we looked at what we built from a technical perspective, and we could have trounced those products, but we just didn't have the, the gusto to go out there and, and tell people we can trounce those products. We thought, oh, they're, you know, whatever. Oh, you're working with Coca-Cola. Oh, you've got this little award, you know, this award. And like, I mean, this, we didn't know there was 10 applicants for the award. You know, we had no idea. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then following you picked... Um, Sasquatch. Is that No. This was like 13-ish. Okay. 13, 2013-ish. Um, ish. 
So what happened post UPIC uh, was we told everyone to go home for Christmas. We basically were like, we have enough money in the bank to like, you know, pay your very small paychecks because we were a tiny young team. <laughs> you know, I do remember the time when uh, I was uh, the bank phoned me, which is not a good thing normally in my mind. Then they phoned me and they asked me if I wanted an increase on my credit card, and I remember having the conversation with the guy saying. You know this is more than my annual salary, right? And he's like, "Well, you seem to be very good at managing your credit." I'm like, "I make nineteen thousand dollars, sir. <laughs> like, I don't think you understand that." And he's like, "No, that's what I have on record here." And I was like, "Jesus, I'll take the money, but this is scary." Um, so we told everyone, "We'll pay you. You can pay your salaries. Go home. When you come back, we're gonna figure this out." And so at that time, we kind of said, "Okay, um, who wants to stay?" You know, absolutely, like, we have a network in the, in the community, we have a network in the, the, you know, somewhat of a global network. You want to go, we'll help you find a job. This isn't a personal thing. You got a life and bills and things like that. And to our surprise, all seven people stayed. And we then gave ourselves one week uh, to build a new company. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we called it the Blue Sky Week. And in the Blue Sky Week, the way it worked is broken into five days. The first day... Uh, everyone was just told to go research and come up with ideas. So, just, so by this time, you had seven people, not seven engineers. No, okay. we had one non-engineer, maybe two non-engineers. You had embraced and found out about marketing. Well, we kind of found out about marketing. Let's see, yeah, step back. We kind of found out about marketing. What we we had we had learned some things along the way mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, during the time of UPIC, uh, you know, we ran promotions for major films that were coming out. We'd run promotions for like international banks. I mean, we had, we had figured some things out mm-hmm. along the stumble. It wasn't just like pip, 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 nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, in many ways, like it was almost misleading to to the degree that we thought it was working. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so we'd learned some things, and when we went to this Blue Sky Week. We gave everyone like a, a day to kind of like research and come up with some ideas for what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, we put some guiding principles around those ideas. Um, one, we said that it uh, it needs to be whatever we do, uh, the customer needs to be able to put a quantifiable dollar amount on the value we bring to the table. So when you're doing like, hey, get a sweepstakes for watching a trailer of this new Quentin Tarantino movie, no one knows how much a view of a trailer is worth. Mm. Like, is that a penny? Is that a dollar? Is that... No one knew. We said we whatever we deliver... We want that ROI to be as clear as possible. The other thing was, we wanted to make sure we were still working in the world of social influence. So the whole idea why I want you to like the page, share the video, those kind of things, is really all because we're really getting, we're trading an entry to a sweepstakes for you to use your social capital to provide this product, or to to share this product. And then the third thing we said is we wanted to work with technology companies. And the reason for that was our best customers from the, the UPIC platform had been tech companies. They uh, they understood, like, we were more technical in what we built. They understood how to implement that, how to use that. They weren't scared away by, by like, the level of power we were offering. Uh, those were like, our three guiding lights, and we said, burn the rest down. Just, it doesn't matter. We can throw every ounce of code away. You name it, burn it down. And so they had one day to research. Second day, now we remember, mostly engineers, we got everyone in the room to pitch, which is a super scary idea to most people even if it was just us in the room. And so we put a little bit of structure together. We said, everyone's going to pitch three times. You're going to pitch once, and no one's allowed to say anything. Sit in silence, listen. 
They're about to, then you have to pitch again, okay? Now, people are allowed to ask clarifying questions, but there's no judgment in those questions. It's just to that idea that, like, that genuinely, I don't understand this part of what you're talking about. Help me understand it more. And then the third time you pitch, people will ask you some more pointed, critical questions to kind of test the idea. And then we break, and people would kill an idea, bring up a new idea, join on ideas, and we just kept running that all day. At the end of the day, we came out with two possible competitors. Uh, and so what's the best way to test a business idea? Three days to sell. And so the company got split into two teams. It became like jovially competitive. And we went to went about selling two products that didn't exist, uh, that had no mock-ups, no screenshots, no you name it. There was nothing. And we gave ourselves three days to sell. We said whichever one we sell the most is the winner. Yeah. And so... We went and sold five customers in three days. Five customers we didn't know was a crucial part. And so you can imagine the insanity of trying to sell someone something that doesn't exist, that you can't show them a screenshot of, that, and so that's what we did. And these were B2B products. They were anyone who would talk to us. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they were right. anyone that would talk to us. Yeah. And we put a pricing model on the table mm -hmm. uh, for both of them. And both products have pricing models. Uh, and the thing we asked for wasn't, would you buy this? The thing we asked for was, what's your credit card? Because we wanted to prove that people would pay us for this. Mm. And so if someone was like, oh yeah, let me get that out for you. We were like, okay, hold, I can't actually take your credit card info. We didn't charge anyone, mm -hmm. but we tested it. What was amazing uh, about those three days is within half a day, the first half a day, we'd heard the same three responses we would hear for the next three days there was three stories that if they would pick up the phone and talk to us at all the product we were selling sorry I guess I should clarify the product we were pushing uh, that one was a customer referral suite so it was, very, it was much tighter than what we do today but we had three stories built it don't like it um, use something that doesn't it's not really built for this and it's okay or looked at doing it realized it's a bunch of work and we're not and we didn't do it we were like great those are the three stories Figure up our answers, and we went at it. So, yeah, and that was then the formation of Referral Sasquatch, our original kind of name and, and, and concept. Yeah. What was the what was the idea that lost? Uh, the other idea that lost was more e-commerce centric. Uh, it was basically taking some of the sweepstakes stuff we had done and moving it more to like a sweepstakes. I'm sorry, like an e-commerce platform. Mm -hmm. The challenges we ran into. Um, once again, like I said, our, our guiding principles were like this idea of like clear sight to value. What we didn't know at the time is that we were actually needing customers to understand that value more than just show it, which is kind of sounds funny, but like e-commerce sites and you're like, yeah, it's like $100 a month for a lot of e-commerce sites that are just out. They're just like, it doesn't even matter. I don't think about lifetime value. I didn't, at least at the time, I should say not necessarily now, but they didn't think about lifetime value. They didn't think about acquisition costs. They just thought, hey, I'm, you know, I've got a 10% margin. I'm, you know, making $3,000 a month and I'm giving you what percentage of my profit? So that market wasn't quite the right place for us at the time. Yeah. Okay. And that thus Sasquatch was born. Yeah, there's one part <laughs> after that that I didn't mention that we had to go through, which is where we had to tell our investors. Um, <laughs> right? Right. That's a really exciting <laughs> moment, which is like, hey, I know that we just spent your money for the last, like, four weeks, but I don't know if you know. Some, some stuff changed real bad. So, um, so back up, back up. So you raised money beforehand. A very small amount of money, but okay. yes. Okay. Yeah. From uh, angels, friends, or family, yeah, kind of round, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then 
you imploded the company yeah. and rebuilt from scratch without them knowing. Yeah, yeah I mean... To a certain extent. They walk, one of them walked by the boardroom and saw us in there. Um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, and we didn't hide it, but right. we didn't go and show it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't until we kind of had a winner right. that we went back to them and we're like, so guys, uh, want to do it again? Um, so what was that meeting like? It was actually amazingly pleasant. I think that showing up was saying, hey, some bad stuff happened, but we took a week, we sold five customers, we have three months to deliver for the first one, you want to play, is a much better place than showing up with just saying, I think things are screwed, I've got another job, good luck. Yeah. You know? So they were, I think, much, it was a much more positive conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the, the PowerPoint presentation we put together was like genuinely terrible um, which we thought was like great but when we actually we, so we've stored like all the documents from those pitch sessions mm-hmm. all of the initial pitch decks we have all of that kept and every once in a while we pull it out and it is insane how bad it is um, like just unreal but uh, it's a good reminder every once in a while yeah yeah <laughs> who yeah. came up with the name Sasquatch because I just I love the name like because it's SAS like software as a service so Sasquatch. in the old days the old days of SEO, domain names were still being used as part of your search ranking. And so, genuinely, we were trying to sell referral programs to SaaS companies. We're like, there it is. Referral, SaaS, throw something on it, Sasquatch. We liked having like a, a mascot. Done. I love it. So, yeah, so that was our, uh, our formation, I guess. Yeah. And it stuck. <laughs> yeah, it stuck. That's good. It stuck, yeah. So, you know, it sounds like you, you, you've had previous companies before, you've, you've um, as you mentioned, some lessons learned along the way. Uh, what's been your biggest challenge so far? You will as a founder. Yeah. Jesus, a lot of challenges. I, I think there's um, when you're a small team, you, you have to deal with the challenge. Uh, you have to deal with the challenge that you are. Is this? You're much more exposed than you think. So. That moment, that's something, you know, I've always said that the hardest part of, of, of entrepreneurship is actually your mental health. It's the idea that on, your, on one day, you can have close your biggest, best customer ever, lose your second best customer who used to be your best, right, and then get a lead from a company you never thought would talk to you, followed by a team member quitting, you know, and that's like 12 minutes, you know, it's, it feels like that can just, it feels like that just comes at you like so fast. And so I think that's one of the, the challenges, but but from that, I think it's really it comes down to like the biggest challenge that I faced is when it's good, you just have to go like crazy. I mean, when I mean that, I mean is like don't, never sit back and go, oh, hey, we had we had ten percent growth last month. Let's let that ride for two more months, and then we're gonna go raise money, and then we're gonna tell the world how amazing we are. It's like you are on track to make ten percent revenue growth that month move like it's already happened for three months and if it stops everyone understands whoops you know don't don't lie but mm-hmm. act like it's already there and I think for me that's one of the biggest challenges as a, with an engineering background wanting to be very analytical I want 12 months of data to back up it's not just a momentary trend but no I think it's like as far as starting a company when it looks good just, go just keep going hard I mean you need to you need to play and get that moment then just just go for it yeah alright cool so you know, as you were talking about that, figuring out how you manage yourself mm. through that, right? You kind of mentioned mental health, right? Yeah. And, and 
you know, part of our theme with this podcast is the 20 mile march. Yeah. You know, figuring out how do you do enough each day and, and, and give yourself enough time to rest and make that consistency work over time. Yeah. You, you know, you kind of, you know, went against that completely. And I, and I totally understand it's like, it's the opportunity. Like, it's time to go and you got to go. How do you so, manage through that? Yeah. And bringing yourself out. There's a subtle detail in there. So when we started UPIC, um, originally, it was four founders. Literally, we worked in this like glass office that was like, we called it the fishbowl. And like to get into it, there was like a porthole that had like the word duck above it, so you could like remember. Like it was a funny little office, right? And um, I mean, it was, just to give you an idea. It was so bad that four twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old men walked in and said, "We need to steam clean this carpet before we can work here." But we went hard. I mean, we went. And they only know like the eighteen hours a day, like just get it done. If we push harder, we will be better. We didn't necessarily push on the right things, but we went as like absolutely as much time as we could, and it led to burnout in like every team member in some sequence. And so, what's interesting is we we then kind of adopted this concept, which is that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Right, and so we we you know didn't speak to as the, the twenty minute or the twenty mile march, but we started to adopt this idea that it's a marathon. We need to keep going. If you listen to or read any of the like um, uh, Saster blog, you know mm-hmm. he, they talk about the idea that a lot of startups actually fail um, because the founding teams give up too early, especially in like a B two B product where it's going to take three years to gain traction typically, you know? And if it doesn't, that's because there's a little sneaky secret, which is where they built the product three years ago, mm-hmm. and they just kind of launched it. But quite often, you need this two and a half, three year window to really get it going, and that's not a sprint, you know? Um, so when I say push hard or go hard, what I mean is not put in a 24 hour day. What I mean is change tact from, I hope this is gonna work, let's tweak product, to go out, talk to the investors, go out, talk to the customers, talk about how this already is amazing, where it is going, and go for it. Don't wait for, for that. I mean, you need some data, fair, and I understand that each business is different, but, but when you see enough data push like this is the rocket ship, you know it will be, um, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna do a 12, 16 hour day. Now, how do I kind of handle it today? Some days well, some days not. You know, I, I, I don't really enjoy the world of, of measuring output by hours by any means. I don't think it's a, a great badge of honor. With that said, uh, I, I casually work an 11-hour day. Um, it is what I like doing. But now I throw into that 11-hour day um, pretty much anything work-related. So even sometimes if I'm having a post-work beer with a team member that I need to talk about something with, I'm that's gonna count that. Yeah. You know, that's that's still at work. I'm not. This isn't my free time to do whatever I want. Uh, I have a, a mission and objective in that conversation that's work related. But the biggest thing for me, and maybe it sounds a little silly, but the biggest thing for me I've ever done that helps me put a little, you know, keep that 20 mile march going, uh, is that I have dinner with my wife every night. Nice. And so, luckily, I live a six minute commute from my office. Um, but I go home and I make dinner and eat dinner with my wife every night. Often that's at seven o'clock or six thirty. I appreciate that, but it's a clear demarcation line where I have to go and be. And I, and I 
challenge myself to be present. You know, this is not, I don't go and work on my phone for that time. I go, I put my phone in the key box, as I'm told, and, <laughs> and, then, and then I go and make dinner. And, like, I, I like cooking, so it's enjoyable. We both do. That's a big thing I've done. One of the other things, and once again, like I said, I'm lucky. My office commute is very simple. I very rarely work at home. Uh, I very, very rarely work at home. I do. I mean, like, sometimes stuff happens and you just need to deal with it and, and that happens. But I don't have an office at home. Like, intentionally don't have an office at home. Uh, there's no place that's, like, easy for me to go and just work for four hours. So it's like, okay, I'm putting my shoes on, getting my coat on, walking to work. Like, I'm, I'm clearly choosing to go to work. That was one of the things I do. Um, but on top of that, I mean, I think that it's a lot of the, the things you know you're supposed to do, right? So uh, for me right now, it's, you know, it's running, uh, it's meditating. And my, my running and fitness is always challenged because I'm super competitive with my brother. Mm-hmm. So that competition, like, I don't want to be the one who can't, like, I want to, if we go for a run together, I need to be the one that's less winded. That's like, that's the rule, right? So, and, you know, my nightly, nightly meditation where I can. Uh, I'm not a day medita- a morning meditator. I know lots of people are, but... Uh, do, you use, do you use any apps for that? Uh, I've tried a few. Um, I mean, you know, you know obviously the, the big ones uh, are kind of the big ones. I think at some point, you know, it's interesting. Like, I, I love the apps, but I love them as teaching tools. And then I love the idea. It's like, yeah, but, like, own your practice. Like, at some point, like, sit down. You should be able to figure this out so that you can meditate for 20 minutes if you need to, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Learning to regulate one's own emotions as a founder it can be an interesting battle. But yeah, those are like the general things. But like I said, the biggest thing for me is making sure that I have dinner with my wife every night and just ensuring that I, I have some demarcation line. Yeah, it sounds like you've built in some good practices there around like not having a, a, a something at home, a place where you can work at home. Mm-hmm. And then that transition from work to home, right? Mm-hmm. It's only six minutes, but it's like, okay, now I'm going home and I'm no longer CEO, I'm yeah. husband. Yeah. Right? And then being present with your wife and having that rule uh, and, and really living by that. Like, and you mentioned putting the phone away too, which yeah. is such a big thing. Like, well, and then that's one of the nice things about cooking. It's really hard to cook with a phone in your hand. Yeah. Like it, it's, I mean, sometimes you're looking at a recipe. I appreciate that, but like you're like you're cutting things and you're using both hands, and it kind of forces you right. to put it down. Especially if you're having wine with it, then you're prioritizing phone or wine, and wine's gonna win, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, you can't have that phone around as much. Yeah. Having those habits where you're you're fully involved or fully yeah. engaged is so important. Yeah. I also, I mean, I did simple things. I think this you'll you'll hear this throughout your show. People doing this, but um, you know, I've turned off most of the notifications on my phone. Mm-hmm. I don't like. Everyone in my team has my phone number. Okay, there's this, there's this, I don't hide it. And my calendar, actually, this is a, an interesting one. Maybe I've never really thought about. Um, my personal calendar is my work calendar. Right. And the reason I do that is because the team, at some point, might need, might choose to get a hold of me outside of hours. That does happen. We have client issues and things like that. But for me, I'm showing them, like, hey, I am doing something personal tonight. And that's, you should also do something personal. And if you really need me, make the choice that you're interrupting me while I'm doing something personal, then I assume you've determined this is a very high priority. Right. But I am at a birthday party or I'm doing normal human things <laughs> and you are choosing to interrupt that and that's okay. Which I guess one of the other things I've done, which was really hard as a young entrepreneur. So when I was a, a very like new young entrepreneur, every single conversation I had was about the business. And the business and myself became super intertwined and I had no no ability to understand you know myself from the, the company 
And so what I started doing is challenging myself that when I was out at social functions, which are often with people in industry, to not talk about the business. Like if I'm at like a networking event, fine. I'm going to talk about the business. That's life. Um, but if I'm at like, it's a, you know, Victoria's a small place. You're out at someone's house for something and you see someone from industry and they start talking about work. You know, I challenged myself not to shut other people down, but to like, how's work going? Well, you know, like let's talk about life because we're living life right now and then doing other things. So those are some of the things I've done. Yeah, and I think yeah. that's a really important one, right? Is to create that separation. I like that. Like, you know, if it's a networking event, yeah, you can talk about work. Yeah. But personal, because people do the couple like, how's work? Yeah. It's the first thing I want to talk about. It's like, let's talk about anything else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you the casual. It's great. You know, I, I, I don't believe in complaining about work, you know, but I'm I'm not wanting to then tell you about the last six deals we did or this cool launch we did or like, I'm like, that's a great part of my life and I'd love to talk to you about that between the hours of like 8 a.m. and 7 p.m. when I'm in the office. Mm-hmm. Let's do that. But otherwise, um, maybe let's be humans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were... To start today, what would you change? A brand new entrepreneur, or just start a new company. If you were to start, let's say, your company today. Okay. Yeah. What would I change? You'd be about the company or as an entrepreneur yourself. Yeah. Um, geez. So, it's, you know, it's a bit of a, a hard question because I, I, I just, you know, the the... The challenge being, of course, if I think back to when we started this, a lot of things we did were things that that younger me needed us to do. Mm-hmm. You know, me today is a very different spot. I think I would really, really spend time uh, thinking about my founding team and evaluating my founding team and making sure that our values are aligned and that our... Um, expectations and goals and interests align enough I think there's a a real tendency especially when you're looking for like technical founders to look for someone who's willing to do the coding and the problem you find is that I I believe the problem I believe you find there is that's not a technical co-founder that's someone who's willing to code for cheap and you should give them stock options and you should pay them the little you can but you shouldn't assume you just found a business partner Right? A business partner needs to want to actually build the business and be willing to do the other stuff that needs to happen. So maybe that is coding, maybe that is some marketing, some sales. But if they are not super excited about the idea of building a business and solving the problems that, that are finding customers and delivering value and things like that, then, then they might just be a great lead developer, a great first developer, um, but you need a strong founding team uh, one of our one of our investors, we were out for dinner with him one night, and he's a old Welsh man. Ah, oh, not that old, but he was old to me. I was, I, you know, I was twenty, whatever. Um, Welsh man, and he said um, we've been working the the, the the four original founders been working together for a little bit, and he said, so uh, do you guys trust each other? He said, absolutely. No, we, we trust each other. We, yeah, we trust each other. And he just kind of looked across the table and just said, bullshit. We were like super offended. We're like, you're calling us liars? Like all these, you know, like, to us, this was this was crazy. And it wasn't until we were actually at a moment where we were so busy dealing with so many things, and we realized 
someone needs to make a decision that if it's wrong could kill the business mm -hmm. and I don't have time to be involved in it. I don't have the mental capacity to be involved in it. I have to trust that you're going to make that decision correctly enough that the business will be okay. And that is a very hard level of trust to develop. So I would really spend time on, the, on finding that founding partner. And like I said, the big thing being alignment on interests and values. And look for someone who's a partner, you know, not, not a free coder. I have to like, I ha cannot stress that enough. If you're a business person looking to start a business, stop trying to find a free coder and casually misleading them um, to think that they're going to be a founder. If you've solved all the problems, you have all the answers, and you're looking for a co-founder, you're lying to yourself. Mm. So I would own that as a big thing. I think the other challenge is much more pragmatic is I would really evaluate my, I would really evaluate on, um, on execution. You know, it, you, you can be misled to believe the idea is, is the only thing that matters. And of course it matters. Like I'm not gonna be so silly to say that a really well executed, you know, idea will always work. But focusing on that execution and that execution of, of, of product delivery, of, of scalability, um, and, and making sure you actually can execute it. You might be smart enough to understand something that you can't execute. That's fine. But I, I would look at that execution. And uh, I guess the last thing I would do is just like, just constantly remembering that you are way better than you think you are. You are, are like, you know, it doesn't take that much time in an industry to realize like, no one knows what's going on. And just remember that. Like, like normally you're looking at an industry and you're like, oh my God, there's this major player. And if you actually could like just be a fly on the wall of that CEO's office, just imagine how many times they're going, oh my God, what do we do next? So just like, remember you, you're, you're probably better than you think. Uh, you're probably able to, to like fight at a much higher level than you think you can. So just, uh, you know, fight and check. Some yeah. great words, yeah. Yeah, that's some great great stuff on that, Will. I uh, <laughs> really appreciate you being here with us today and, and sharing your story and, and going deep on some of the, the personal stuff, too, yeah, which no is really, really great. It's been really uh, interesting to, to get the whole backstory on, mm -hmm. on how you arrived where you're at and, and some of the challenges that you face. And so really appreciate your time. also want to thank the listeners for, for tuning in today. Hopefully, they got some really great information out of that as well. And uh, I just want to encourage everyone to check out our other episodes as well. Be sure to check out our website at 20mile.co. Feel free to follow us at 20mileco on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And until then, just keep on marching on.